Welcome to the Landscape, a Cranes Cleveland podcast. I'm Dan Paletta. Thanks for being with us. In our continuing series of conversations here on the Landscape, we are talking to politicians who are running for various offices here in the state of Ohio. Today, we're glad to be joined by the Democratic nominee to run for the office of governor, Nan Whaley. Ms. Whaley was the mayor of Dayton from 2014 to 2022, and she joins us today. Thanks for being with us, Ms. Whaley. Glad to have you. Thank you, Dan. Let's start with how you got here. You're a Hoosier, so how did you end up in the Buckeye State? Uh, yeah, so I like to joke that I got here as soon as I can. Uh, I was uh, uh, went to the University of Dayton. I'm the first to graduate college in my family. Uh, really fell in love with UD. Uh, go Flyers. Uh, and um, uh, when I came to UD, uh, one of the things my parents said, uh, they weren't crazy about me actually coming to Ohio. And they said, well, if you're going to go to Ohio, you better help reelect Bill Clinton because he's the reason why you can go to school because of the access to student loans. And Ohio decides presidents. And so I actually took a bus to Democratic headquarters and started learning the community that way and fell in love with Dayton. Dayton is a town that is gritty, uh, blue collar, and it has the idea that if you work hard and play by the rules, you should get ahead. And I think uh, what we've seen across the state of Ohio, frankly, is that's not the case uh, anymore. And so there's lots of frustration, not just in Dayton, but across the state because of that feeling has been lost. I think sometimes it gets lost for people who have families who've gone to college have generations of it, how important it is for someone to be that first person. We were the same in my family that my brothers and I were the first ones to go to college in our family. I think that sometimes that gets lost. Yeah. You know, my dad's a number nine of 10. And I'll tell you what what really show, shows to me is just how va- valuable that family viewed education because all of my cousins uh, were, were the first to graduate college in their family over and over again. And really, it's the story of mobility in America, frankly, is, is my family, is, you know, this idea that, you know, if you get an education, my parents, you know, sacrificed so much for my brother to be able to graduate. And you're supposed to be able to, to then do well f- uh, for your families. And I think what we're seeing unfortunately, is, you know, you know, this generation is not going to do better than their parents' generation. And there's an incredible amount of frustration and anger about that, as there should be. I mean, that's that's really what the American dream is. It's about uh, families, the next generation, always doing better in that mobility. And that's been gone in this this next generation. And really, I think that's the story of Ohio as well. So what, is, what are some of the things you are really proud of? I know it's a long administration. What are two or three things you are really happy about that you did while you were the, the mayor of Dayton? Yeah, I am most proud uh, for the city passing universal preschool for every single four-year-old. Uh, Dayton is, like I mentioned, it is a working class city. Um, we are not one of the fancy cities of Ohio uh, or the country. And the people of Dayton voted to you know, really invest in four-year-olds, which just tells you they were really betting on their future. Uh, and it's been uh, an, an incredible program. It's considered a national best practice. Uh, you know, places like Santa Barbara come to Dayton now to check out our preschool program uh, because it is it is like performing so well. And my last year in office, we added three-year-olds as well. So th- all three-year and four-year-olds in Dayton have access to high-quality preschool. Uh, it is um, one of the most used programs, too. You know, a lot of cities, the fancier cities have tried this, but they don't get the number of students per capita as Dayton has because we try to meet the kids where they are uh, rather than putting a system in place that the kids have to, and the family have to meet us. And I think that's really the point of a good program, frankly. And, you know, I think you learn that 
when you're on in local government as a mayor, you, you you really work to provide systems into the place where they meet families rather than making families jump to hoops to meet the government. Make your case against Mike DeWine. You've mentioned people are not doing as well as they had done in the past. What? Why do you think, what's gone wrong here in the state of Ohio and why? Well, look, Dan, you know, Mike DeWine's been in office since I was 10 months old. I'm 46 <laughs> years old. <laughs> I don't say it to be funny, although it is funny. I say it because I want you to think about what Ohio was like in 1976. You know, when Mike DeWine was first elected, uh, the average Ohio wage earner was making more than the average American. And today they're making less. Uh, we were leaders and innovators. Uh, we exported things, you know, particularly cars in the state. Today we seem to export our college graduates. We're one of the worst states for what they call brain drain. Uh, and frankly, we're, lead, we're on the top of bad lists and the bottom of good ones now. We lead the country in things like the most corrupt state for a state house, leading in infant mortality, maternal mortality, opi- opioid overdose addictions, and we're in the bottom five of economic growth. And that's what we've gotten with Mike DeWine's leadership. And, you know, frankly, if you aren't in the Columbus metro, Mike DeWine has paid very little attention to you. Every single metro in this state, except for Columbus, has been getting smaller, both in population and economically. And, you know, I think we deserve better than the 46 years we've gotten with Mike DeWine. Uh, now, if you're Mike DeWine and his family, you've done great. That's the thing. I mean, these guys are so self-interested at the state house; They make sure they're taken care of. You know, he's wealthy enough to own his own baseball team. That's a professional baseball team in North Carolina. You know, he's able to put $4 million of his own race in this governor's race. So we see over and over again, the self-interest and self-dealing is the reason why we've been named the most corrupt state by the FBI. You mentioned the state house and the legislature. There was an article in the New Yorker over the summer by uh, by Jane Mayer, where she made the case that the Ohio legislature isn't reflective of what voters really want here in the state. But obviously people are voting for these candidates. Is that a fair characterization? Well, I thought Jane did a great job in explaining that the reason why is we have politicians that are picking their voters rather than voters picking their politicians. You know, right now we have an illegitimate state house. And I don't say that lightly, but, you know, voters by 70 plus percent in Ohio called for fair districts. Mike DeWine said he would provide fair districts. He serves on that commission and he did the exact opposite because he's too weak to stand up to the extremists in his party. Uh, So now we have districts that the elections already decided because they've cut them in ways that they can make sure that they keep a supermajority. That's the problem with the Ohio legislature. That's the point Jane was making. If you look at how Ohio votes in general, just like on a straight congressional, it's about you know D to R, 47 to 53, 48, 52. But yet we only have four of the 16 congressionals that are Democrat because they have cut these districts in an anti-democratic way. And it is affecting the democracy in Ohio. Uh, And frankly, it makes our legislature so extreme and so out of touch because they're only interested in extreme primary voters rather than what the general election voter wants. And so then we start seeing things like you know, banning abortion at conception, banning birth control like IUD, banning, you know, in vitro fertilization. And Mike DeWine either believes these things, is radical with them, or too weak to stand up to them. And so we see this in examples around redistricting, around gun safety, around abortion, you know, around any sort of inclusivity. Uh, The legislature is completely out of touch because they don't have to worry about the voters. And Mike DeWine is so weak, he just folds every single time because he's terrified of them. And frankly, we deserve like real leadership and a governor that will listen to all of Ohio. 
One of the issues that was raised in the article and certainly been discussed over and over is this question of abortion. You're running as a very strong pro-choice candidate. Mm -hmm. How do you make sure that Ohioans have safe abortions if, if they're there? Well, look, I mean, this is one place that Mike DeWine actually does believe he's incredibly radical when it comes to being anti-choice. He has called himself the most pro-life governor in the country. And again, that's quite a statement when you see what's happening across the country. If you were a woman in Ohio, the June 24th was a difficult day for all Americans, but for particularly for a woman in Ohio, it was terrifying. Seven hours after Roe fell, Mike DeWine put forward in the six-week abortion ban. And you know we've already seen just extreme actions that have been devastating to the state. Ten-year-old rape victim having to go across state lines to uh, terminate a pregnancy of a 10-year-old. Uh, when Mike DeWine was asked about it, he said that he doubted she existed. And if she existed, she was probably lying. Uh, when Columbus police arrested her rapist, Mike DeWine had two words and there were no comment. Uh, we're going to see even worse examples, like I mentioned, because he has said he wants to go as far as possible on this issue. And in Ohio, you don't have to even imagine it. In the state house right now, as I mentioned, is a bill that bans abortion at conception, bans birth control like IUD, and bans uh, in vitro fertilization. Uh, the issue for us on this, you know, number one, I've committed right after we win this election is to put Roe in the Ohio Constitution, codify it so we don't have to deal with extremists in the state house to protect a woman's right and freedom to make these tough decisions with their doctors and their families. And then secondly, I want to particularly point out on this show that this is an economic issue. You know, if you're 20 to 40 years old and a woman and you're not going to be able to get the health care you need because pregnancy has a lot of different avenues, every pregnancy is different, uh, you're not going to stay in Ohio. And we hear over and over again from the business community that uh, workforce is the number one issue. So if you're alienating half of the workforce in like attacking their freedom to healthcare, do you think they're going to stay here or choose to move here? It's going to be a huge issue in this state. And we've already seen examples like Indiana when they did the full ban in Indiana a few weeks ago. The minute after they did that, Eli Lilly announced, which is a company that was grown in Indiana, that they will no longer grow in the state of Indiana. We will see examples like that over and over again. Businesses will have no choice, frankly, because they will not be able to get the talented workforce they need without women. Nan Whaley joins us today for The Landscape, a Crane's Cleveland podcast. Ms. Whaley is running for governor. She is the Democratic nominee. She'll face off against incumbent Governor Mike DeWine in November. Ms. Whaley, let's talk about this issue of jobs. One of the things we've talked about over and over on The Landscape is that Ohio, job, uh, Ohio employers are always saying, we are lacking in the skilled workers. We need to fill jobs. You want to help change that with something you call one good job, this pledge of yours. How does this work? Yeah, look, we know over the next, you know, five years, particularly the graying of um, our workforce is happening at a very fast rate in the state. In the state of Ohio, for uh, particularly building our communities and, you know, building the roads, bridges, and broadband that we need, uh, the state of Ohio estimates that we will have, uh, will need 22,000 new workers. And frankly, that was before the bipartisan infrastructure bill passed and before the Intel announcement in Columbus. Mike DeWine's answer is to bring people from out of state in to do those jobs, and then they take their money back to their state. Uh, we want to be proactive and make sure that we are training Ohio workers to do Ohio work. Uh, so we have called for, when selected, we'll put $65 million in apprenticeship readiness programs to build the pipeline of good union paying jobs for the, this work. And frankly, also, it helps us be able to not have to move people around the state. So if you live in Chillicothe, you can work in Chillicothe. If you live in Cleveland, you can work on building Cleveland instead of having to boom folks in from different places. And we want 
uh, you know, this opportunity, particularly with the bipartisan infrastructure plan for Ohioans to build, rebuild Ohio. And that was, that's going to require a significant amount of investment. And that's what our one good job pledge is about. We anticipate we would be able to create 17,000 new jobs in Ohio uh, with the one good job plan because of the investment in apprenticeship readiness programs. We've mentioned this Intel expansion. Should the state be doing more to bring these kind of big investments here on a regular basis? And is it really worth the cost? Well, look, I mean, I can't really answer that, Dan, because they've been so quiet about what our $2 billion investment gives us. And that's one of the big challenges with the DeWine administration. Look, he's never seen a ribbon cutting he hasn't loved, uh, the governor, but he is very scant on the details after. Intel is an example. We've put $2 billion in in this investment from the state. Uh, and we really don't know how many jobs we're getting, if they're good paying jobs, we assume because it's Intel, but we don't know the details and he hasn't disclosed that. Or if Intel doesn't hold up to their end of the bargain, what we can do to make sure we get our taxpayer dollars back. Uh, that's, I think, the biggest concern I have with this. Of course, we're excited about this investment if it comes, but we do not know as investors and taxpayers into Intel what we're getting in return. We've also seen examples where the governor makes a big announcement, like in Wood County, where they announced a Peloton manufacturing facility where there were supposed to be 2,000 jobs. And Dan, if you go to Wood County, there's absolutely no jobs there from Peloton. They pulled out of that deal after the ribbon cutting. Mike DeWine is always there for the announcement, but never there for the fallout. And that's what we've seen over and over in the state. The last thing I'll say is we've got to make sure we get real investment in the rest of the state instead of just the Columbus Metro. The answer to this state cannot be if you want to you know, grow up in Ohio and stay in Ohio to move to Columbus. We have amazing communities all across the state, and the choice shouldn't be, if you want to stay here, that Columbus just sucks all the young people out of the rest of the state. Because Columbus' growth has not been from people that have moved into Ohio. It has been from people from Cleveland, Marietta, Mansfield, Dayton, et cetera, that are moving into Columbus. And that is not a recipe for success. You mentioned the infrastructure money that's going to be coming to the state. How do you evaluate our infrastructure needs? What what do you think are some of the main priorities? Uh, I put together a Southern Ohio plan, frankly, because we see the real need for broadband across the state, particularly in Southern Ohio. You know, during COVID, it really laid bare just the challenge this is where you would see kids who weren't going to school but had to go to the McDonald's at night or the library parking lot to be able to do their homework. And that's unacceptable, especially as we're trying to grow jobs, not just in the Columbus, but in, in the entire state. We got to make sure that broadband is affordable and available. And this is, I think, an important point. It can't just be that it's available because it's also got to be accessible. And that means that people have to be able to afford it. And frankly, we can't just let the telecoms make these decisions because they will drive those prices up. That's why the government has to be involved. If we were waiting for big business to light the entire Southern Ohio, they would still be without electricity. The state has got to invest in this, both for places in urban areas where it's not, it, it's, it needs to be affordable and rural areas where it's hard to get to. So those are the two places I think that are a big opportunity. Clearly we need to, you know, I'm a former mayor, so I believe in fix it first and, you know, making sure that we rebuild our roads and bridges uh, so we can make sure that those communities that have been around a while have the same amenities as new communities have is really important. You mentioned the corruption at the state house is probably best embodied, sadly, in the House Bill 6 bribery scandal. Right. Do we need fundamental changes in how, first of all, how utilities are regulated and this whole issue of how legislature then interacts with corporate interests? Absolutely. It's the first policy I put out 
way back in April of 21 when I first announced, uh, you know, we need a complete and total overhaul at the state house. And look, the first energy scandal is just the latest and most heinous example. You know, it was a, uh, you know, basically they bankrolled Mike DeWine's campaign in 2018. And in return, he's given them everything they want, including a billion dollar bailout that we're still paying for every single month on our utility bill. They also, he, they also wanted their top lobbyist to be the head of the PUCO, our utility regulator. And Mike DeWine said no problem, appointed him. When First Energy settled with the federal government, they admitted that they bribed that lobbyist with $4 million to look out for them, not us. Now, these examples are heinous. We need to fire the entire PUCO for sure, and ha- but we need a complete and total overhaul of the whole system. Because if I was talking to you four years ago, I'd be talking about the electronic classrooms of tomorrow, where they had a big donor at the state house, had a terrible idea to fill virtual classrooms with no students, and then he sucked millions of dollars out of public education. If I was here six years ago, I'd be talking to you about the payday lenders who are sucking out of our community's enormous interest rates. Again, a big donor to the state house, a bad idea, and Ohioans lose. Uh, that's why I've called for a complete overhaul. You can check it out at nanwhaley.com slash policy. But it really talks about, you know, making sure we don't have the revolving door constantly at the state house. You can work for government or corporations. You can't work for both. Making sure there's transparency with the inspector general and the Ohio Ethics Commission so we know what they're looking at. And then finally, we got to get the politicians to stop guarding the hen house. And so that public accountability commission will be really, really key So we have more transparency at the state house, which is thoroughly lacking. But the last thing I'll say, we have got to get the legislature to get the money out of the politics so we know who's actually spending in these races. We're seeing millions of dollars right now being spent, even in this governor's race, because Mike DeWine does the same thing over and over again with his corrupt actions. And nobody knows where this money is coming from. We have a good idea because we know who he's appointed on his board of trustees. Uh, but it's not it does not have to be disclosed, and it is a cancer on our state house, and it's the reason why we can't get to work on the things to really grow communities and grow good paying jobs. Finally, both you and your running mate come from urban parts of Ohio. Much of the state's leadership is from more rural parts of Ohio. What difference does it make if we had representatives from Cleveland and Dayton if you're elected? Look, I mean, I think it's a huge opportunity. I mean, certainly Cheryl and I you know, come from different parts of the state and have different experiences, but we're both working class. And I think that's really the biggest difference for us is, uh, you know, we're not uh, fancy millionaires. We come from communities that are sh- that have been struggling and have been working hard to try to make make a go of it. And we don't have a partner at the state house. And so that's what we know. And we've seen it as being mayors uh, of, of in the state, just what the state could really do to partner with local communities. Now, look, I feel rural communities feel the same way. They're not being heard either. I've been to all 88 counties. And this is really a, 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 a campaign about the forgotten and ignored, which frankly is the entire state but Columbus. So whether you're whether you're urban or rural, you feel the same way because you're being treated the same way. Nan Whaley, thanks so much for joining us today. Great pleasure having you with us. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for the time. Nan Whaley is running for the office of governor here in the state of Ohio, the Democratic nominee. She's facing off against our incumbent governor, Mike DeWine. That happens in November. We'll be talking to more of the candidates here on The Landscape. Hope you can join us. I'm Dan Paletto. We'll talk again soon. Thank you.